All right, we're talking about questions today. Kids ask really good questions. Here are some of them. How did people make the first tools if they didn't have any tools? Smart kid. Why is hate more important than love? I can love my mom and love cookies, but it's not the same love. But if I say I hate broccoli, everyone gets mad saying it's a bad word. Why isn't love a super good word if hate is a super bad word? Good point. Daughter said to her mom, Mom, why is your tummy big? Mom said, that's because I'm expecting a baby. Daughter, where's the baby? Inside my tummy. Oh my God, you ate the baby? (laughs) Seven-year-old says, Mom, are there more leaves in the world or blades of grass? Or blades of grass? What about trees? Are there more trees than buildings? Mom says, uh, trees. The son says, are there more bricks in the world or bird feathers? Mom says, tell me about that castle you built in Minecraft. I can't take any more of these questions. Kids just keep asking and asking and asking. And they are brilliant to do so because it's how they develop into human beings. They ask a lot of questions. So questions are so crucial to our kids' development. But I think questions are just as crucial to our development. We still have a long ways to go as adults sometimes. Socrates said, I know you won't believe me, but the highest form of human excellence is to question oneself and others. Jesus said in Luke, search and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. If I have all of the answers, then there's no reason for me to search. There's no reason for me to knock. There's something really valuable about having some kind of attitude of uh, curiosity and persistent knocking. If I have all the answers, I'm kind of a know-it-all. Nobody likes a know-it-all. Sheldon Cooper from the Big Bang is probably the biggest know-it-all of them all. I've got a clip I want to try to play, if it will do it. It will. I just have to walk over here. If you took advantage of modern marketing techniques and you optimized your manufacturing process, you might be able to make this viable business. And you know about that stuff? Penny. <laughs> I'm a physicist. I have a working knowledge of the entire universe and everything it contains. Who's radio? Nobody likes a know-it-all. For some reason, we do love having the answers, though. I wonder if it has something to do with, if I have the answer and you don't, I feel like I'm one step above you. If I have the answers, um, having certainty, for some reason, that makes us feel good. Having questions means we don't know. It takes some vulnerability to ask questions, especially asking for help. That's a hard question to ask. So our culture, it seems like, especially our religious culture, answers are valued more than questions. Here at Mission Gathering, questions are more important than answers. Questioning is how you grow 
It's how you learn. It's how you change. It's how you mature. We take some lessons from the kiddos and ask questions. And I grew up in a religious world where questioning anything in the Bible meant that I doubted the Bible. And if I doubted the Bible, that means I would have a lack of faith. And if you have a lack of faith, that's going to go down the hill to unbelief. It starts with questioning. And they say, I was told as a kid, it's a slippery slope straight to hell. <laughs> it leads to unbelief. It leads to doubt. So if you question, you can't have a strong faith. You can't have a mature faith. I don't believe that anymore. That was a fearful, fearful way to live. If I have a question about God or, or the Bible, uh, I, I should be afraid that it's a lack of spiritual maturity. There is no fear, Paul, or no, uh, there is no fear in love, Paul says. So if I'm afraid of asking the questions, there's something wrong there. So I want to know from you all, because this is my first time, and I don't know all of you very well. I want to hear from you all kind of where you're at in your spiritual journey. What questions have you had growing up throughout your lives? For me, I had questions that I, uh, gosh, I really didn't feel comfortable asking in church because the way people would look at me. And this is not a church like that. This is a church where if you say, today I feel like an atheist. I might say I'm right there with you. <laughs> I do not have all the answers as a pastor of this church. I'm probably going to have more questions for you. We're going to figure it out together. We're going to grow together. So if anyone is um, comfortable and willing to just share a little bit about where you are in your spirituality, where you've come from, I'd love to just open up the floor. You don't have to stand up or talk in a mic. We're a small enough group that we can just talk out loud where you are. Or if you have questions for me, you can ask me. Yeah, me neither. I'm like, how could you say this as a pastor? 
pastors aren't allowed to think that, just everyone in the congregation is allowed to think that and not say it, you know. Uh, and he's like, well, no, you know, we're, you know, we're all we're all together in our vulnerability with it. And I was like, oh, I think I can feel safe in this church, and uh, and clearly I do. You know, I'm here, and, and that's that's a very very new thing. You know, for a while I thought that I would never find such a thing, hmm. um, but you know, there's like I I remember uh, I remember being like ten. And me being like, yeah, like, I remember being 10 and my parents explaining, you know, Jesus to me. And I looked at them real quizzically and I was like, but this just sounds like that. And I said it in a way that was like, I, I, I put a label on it. It was like, that it was clearly I meant to be like, not really a good thing. And they were like, yes, exactly. And I was like, ha ha. <laughs> uh, because people, yeah, people, have, people have ideas that have been constructed oftentimes like millennia after, you know, the genesis of an idea that it is yeah. that they take instead of instead of the idea. And um, and everyone believes that they're the ones that have the core of it, you know, so I don't want to be here to be like, yeah. we got it. We're the ones who finally got the Bible right. <laughs> yeah. so you don't have to look for the your church anymore because we're the ones that got it right. Right. And so and I, you know, because I've been a part of probably like 30 different spiritual communities, only like a quarter of which have been Christian. Huh. Um, you know, and every single place I've gone, there's been this sense of like, we're the ones that finally got it. And uh, so here at Mission Gathering, we are the ones who finally got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We are yeah, not the ones who finally got it. My favorite thing about here is there's finally there's finally this sense of like resting in honesty and like in the fact that we that we don't. Um, but that doesn't mean that we aren't still working real hard towards truth. Yeah. Because um, I think often when people don't have, when people are like, well, like, you know, you can't really know, then it just turns into nihilism. Right. right. And we're not doing that either. I think we have all of the, all of the intention to move towards truth. That's yeah. Really so we, we don't really have um, a, a uh, doctrinal statement that you'll find in a lot of churches. And, you know, when I'd become a member of a church, they would give that doctrinal statement out in the membership class, and you'd even have to sign sometimes that you agree with this doctrinal statement. Our doctrinal statement is the person of Jesus Christ. It is what he did. It's what he said. It's how he loved people, how he treated people. So our foundation is not in a statement of beliefs. When Jesus called people to um, follow him, that's what he did. He went up to people and said, follow me. Come watch what I do so you can do it. He didn't say, here's my doctrinal statement for you to believe. He said, come do what I do. Come live how I live. So Jesus is our, Jesus is our doctrinal statement. What comes to mind when you all think of church?
Yeah, that community is a huge part of why we exist. It's not a come to church on a Sunday for an hour and then leave. It's Jesus, after he rose from the dead, told his disciples, you will know, people will know that you are my followers by the way that you love one another. People aren't going to know you're my followers because you've got picket signs and, and that you're protesting against, you know, whatever you're, you're not a fan of at the time. And, and people will know you're Christians um, by the way you talk or, um, you know, all the Christian jargon and the Christianese language. Um, you'll know, people will know that you are Christians, that you follow me by how you love one another. This is a group of people that genuinely take care of each other and listen to each other and meet each other's needs. That's what separates Christ followers, or should. We don't always see that in church, but we should. Not all churches are going to get that right, and we're not always going to get it right, but that's what we're striving for, for sure. Anyone else have any thoughts on church? Share anything from your own experience? I like that church is a place where children and, and even adults um, get to be shaped in our culturally. And not only of like, we're the church and we're the bad people, but like the media messages that tell you that you're not good enough or you have to do this to be successful. Um, you get to get into church and we all just love each other exactly as we are. And I love like children being hear that message as they grow up. Teenage years and having way more social media every year is just crazy. Um, and to get to have people in their lives speak against those messages and help bring out who God truly meant to be. Yeah. That's good. I grew up um, in the South, in Texas, um, at a Methodist church. Uh, my parents brought, brought us, and it was a really great experience. Like, really positive community. Um, moved to Chicago, we had a really fine church that we really felt like we enjoyed as a family. And uh, I was a big soccer player, so soccer kind of took over us on days anyway. So, um, but um, growing up, uh, my relationship with God was pretty strong through actually soccer. I had a best friend who was like, super religious. And we were, you know, we were pretty connected. Um, but then when the whole gay thing came into the picture, it pretty much was clear it's not compatible. Um, so pretty much kind of just like let it slide. I mean, understanding who's there, and I, I really didn't. I just don't agree with the church on so many things and, and how the power structure that exists. That um, I believe it's a very personal thing, but you know, I do. I don't know. I believe in a place where community can be a positive thing and. Um, Yeah, the church is made up of people. Very, very, very imperfect people. <laughs> it's not always perfect. But it should be of anywhere in our community. 
This place should be the safest place that you go to all week. Physically, spiritually, emotionally, safest place. I don't know why I just cried there. (laughs) That is so huge. That is so huge. And you are this church wherever you go the rest of the week. So the people you come in contact with should feel safe around you because the Christ that you experience here on a Sunday is in you all week long. So when they are around you, you are a safe place for them to experience love. I didn't have that in my notes. Y'all, does anyone else have anything they want to share? Any questions they've had about church they've never asked? Questions about for me, for Kylie? Yeah. That's a great question. I was um, raised Southern Baptist. My father and his dad and his dad, I think, to the fifth generation were all Southern Baptist pastors. Um, My dad, in the early 90s, he was kind of cutting edge. He would do things like, you know, if the pulpit was here, he'd walk over here. (laughs) And the elders were like, no, you can't do that. You know, he incorporated a drum kit into the sermon and choruses, and the, you know, the deacons really didn't like that. In the early 90s, he branched off with a few families and started a church uh, called Fellowship Bible Churches, non-denominational. And the way they did church was very much cutting edge. The theology was very much Southern Baptist. So I grew up all within that same framework of theology and how we see the Bible and God and the world. It was just kind of a cooler church that wasn't tied to a denomination. Um, In college, I took some religious studies classes and uh, began to question just about everything that I was told about the Bible and God and church. My father, interestingly enough, started asking the same questions about the same time I did. So we went on this path of Um, reframing how we understood God. And part of that was um, uh, a couple things. Y'all familiar with the inerrancy of the Bible? You heard that term before? So I I grew up in a church that said the Bible is inerrant. It means there are no errors. It's perfect in every way. Um, I started to question that in my classes. There are a lot of contradictions in the Bible. There are a lot of things that don't make sense, that don't add up. Um, And then I started questioning our view on uh, homosexuality. I'd begun to see with friends of ours all of the hurt that had been caused by the church for our uh, gay community. Um, That did not look like Jesus. That did not look like Christ. And so I began questioning all of that and went through a deep study of the Bible and homosexuality. And so eventually, because of those two things, biblical inerrancy, maybe that's not how we see the Bible or should see the Bible. And then homosexuality, maybe we should affirm the way God made all of us. Um, 
the elders of the church fired my dad. Um, he started a church right after that called The Venues, and I had, I've been full-time staff as a pastor there for six years. Growing up, I always did the worship thing. I played keyboard in the band. I sang. I led worship all through high school. I was the quiet, shy kid in middle school. I'd stand behind a keyboard, and I'd stare at my fingers through every single song. I did not look up once. I was such a shy kid. And here I am now, talking in front of a group of people. Um, so I've been in the ministry world my whole life, pretty much. And when we started the venues, it was very much like Mission Gathering. You all know Mission Gathering has other locations in the country. Um, it's so funny. It's strange. The venues and Mission Gathering are very much, could in a lot of ways be the same church with a different name. So we started in the Bible Belt, a more modern, as far as how we do church, a more modern church that was also gay affirming, that had a passion for social justice, for helping our homeless community and those in poverty in our community and single moms. And we wanted a church that would be uh, radically just known for our love for people. And um, that was hard in, in Springfield, Missouri to, <laughs> to build a church like that. But we realized there were so many people who were longing for a place like that. We're, the church that they have had growing up or were currently going just wasn't making sense with how life is. Church, for so many, had said, God is black and white. Life is black and white. We're going to tell you what's black and what's white. Life is gray. We wanted a church that admitted life is gray, and God made it that way. And so let's embrace it and explore what all of that means. How do we live life uh, like Jesus did? So a couple years ago, I got connected with Rich, lead pastor of all of the mission gathering uh, movement churches. And um, he asked me to be a part of the movement. And Kylie and I had been in Springfield, Missouri our whole lives. And we were ready for just a, a change. We just felt like we needed to, to do our own thing, that God had something big for us to do. Um, so we said, okay, we packed up the U-Haul and here we are. So thanks for asking. But yeah, if y'all have any questions about our journey or where we're at, don't ever hesitate to ask. Um, my phone number, my cell phone number um, is at the bottom of my email signature. Y'all can have that. Call me, text me anytime, any day. Um, does anyone else have anything they want to sh share? Questions? No? I wanted to share a passage with y'all um, before we end from Mark. It's interesting that Jesus asks in the Gospels 307 questions. And he only answers them outrightly, the questions that he's asked, like 187 questions that people ask him, he only answers them outright three times. So many other times he diverts into something else or he asks a question as an answer. Three times Jesus gives an answer. 307 times he asks a question. Maybe we should imitate Christ by asking more questions instead of shouting the answers. So we're going to try to follow Jesus in that. And there's this passage in Mark 
Jesus and his followers came into Jericho. And as Jesus was leaving Jericho together with his disciples and a sizable crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, Timaeus' son, was sitting beside the road. And when he heard that Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth was there, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, show me mercy. And many scolded him, telling him to be quiet. But he shouted even louder, Son of David, show me mercy. And that Greek phrase, show me mercy, is not uh, show me forgiveness or, or don't punish me, give me mercy. That Greek phrase means have, see that I'm hurting and I need help. Please help me. Please see my hurt. Please help. It goes on. Jesus stopped and said, call him forward. And they called the blind man. Be encouraged. Get up. He's calling you. Throwing his coat to the side. You see this. Jesus so often told people to come forward who everyone else scolded and said, sit back. This isn't for you. Throwing his coat to the side, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, teacher, I want to see Jesus said, go, your faith has healed you. And at once he was able to see and he began to follow Jesus on the way. That question that Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? Just a few passages earlier, he asks the disciples the same question because they said, Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we want you to do, like whatever we say, which is kind of a bold thing to say. And Jesus said, okay, what do you want me to do for you? And the disciples said, well, we want to sit at your right hand when we come into the kingdom. We want to be in a place of power and a place of authority. When Jesus asked this blind beggar, what do you want me to do for you? The beggar said, I want you to help me. I want you to heal me. I mean, how often do I, when I say a prayer and I ask God for something, it's something for myself. Help me have a lot more money so I don't have to worry about money. God, give me the answers. God, give me this job promotion. I've prayed that a lot before. Not in the church world, but... Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? I think Jesus is asking us the same question. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for Mission Gather? What do you want me to do for Issaquah? What do you want me to do for Seattle? What do we want Jesus to do for us? I want Jesus to do for us what uh, Bart, Bartimaeus asked Jesus to do. Help us. Show us how to do this. There is hurt in our hearts. There is hurt in the people around us, in our community. Show us how to heal that hurt. And I think if we ask Jesus to do that, he'll do it. And I don't think we'll have to sit on the sideline and wait for Jesus to do it. He's going to use us to do that. He's going to use us to heal that hurt. Rachel Held Evans was a writer and a speaker. She passed away this weekend. She's 37 years old. She was very influential 
uh, for me in my deconstructing and reconstructing of faith in Jesus and the Bible. She kind of, we were on very parallel paths around the same time. And she wrote some very good books. I'd recommend all of them. She had some complications with the flu um, reaction to some antibiotics, and she didn't survive the infection, and she died uh, yesterday, um, left behind two babies. But she left a great legacy for those of us who are questioning. She said, we don't, we don't want to choose between science and religion or between our intellectual integrity and our faith. Instead, we long for our churches to be safe places to doubt, to ask questions, and to tell the truth even when it's uncomfortable. We want to talk about the tough stuff. Biblical interpretation, religious pluralism, sexuality, racial reconciliation, and social justice. But without predetermined conclusions or simplistic answers, we want to bring our whole selves through the church doors without leaving our hearts and minds behind, without wearing a mask. That is what we want here. That's what we want to do. Einstein was brilliant. He said the important thing is to not stop questioning. Curiosity has its own reason for existing. Without questioning and curiosity, and, and I'm sure you see this in your kiddos, without questioning and curiosity, there is no imagination. Without imagination, we wouldn't create anything. The whole reason that we've created anything in this world is because somebody asked a question and had a curious thought. Questions are crucial. We are made in the image of God, the Creator. He creates. We are made to create like him. We are made to be curious, made to question. Henry Nguyen was a 20th century theologian. He was brilliant in his ability to merge theology and spirituality with psychology. It's really interesting. And he gives us the questions I think that we need to be asking today and every day. Did I offer peace today? Did I bring a smile to someone's face? Did I say words of healing? Did I let go of my anger and resentment? Did I forgive? Did I love? These are the real questions. And I must trust the little bit of love that I sow now will bear many fruits here in this world and the life to come. Those are the questions that we should ask every day. Did I love today? Did I show those fruits of the Spirit as evidence of Christ in us? Kindness peace, patience. Did I do that today? One more question from the kids. Not that song. Kid asks, where does a circle end? Mom says, I guess it doesn't really end. Well then, I'll love you till the end of the circle. I think that's God to us. I will love you to the end of the circle. I will love you forever. No matter what questions you have, no matter what doubts you have. I will love you. So Rob and Kylie are going to sing the chorus of the song one last time. And the kids are welcome to come in here with us for that. Um.